Welcome to Connected, episode 153. This week's show is brought to you by Squarespace, Hover, and Pingdom. My name is Stephen Hackett, and I'm joined this week by uh, my co-host, who's now on the coast, Federico Vitici. <laughs> hey, Stephen, how are you? I'm, I'm good. <laughs> uh, so we won't we won't give your exact coordinates unless you just want to, but you're on uh, summer vacation. I literally just came back from the beach. Uh, I'm still on my on my swimming suit and it's full <laughs> of sand and Perfect. yeah, I like came back and I said I got to call Steven because we got to talk about Apple stuff. And so the other so we have a house here, we have like a summer house that we're renting for the month of August and the there's people outside. I mean here staring at a google document with your profile picture which is very nice i should say uh but it's only you there's there's no there's no mic there's no mic uh so mike as some listeners may know is spending some time in the u.s this summer he's traveling today uh, but he will be on the show next week and on the show on the uh on the 15th he will be uh in person with me in my office and so That'll be funny. Of uh, that, to look forward to in two weeks. Yeah. Uh, if, but that's if, if he survives, if he survives, it'll well, well, be with you. <laughs> yeah. If not, it's going to be really weird. Yeah. <laughs> but that's in the future, and we have things to talk about today. Mm. And to talk yeah. about things today, first we have to talk about things in the past, and that is follow up. So my Logitech Circle Two camera finally showed up. It showed oh, up last nice. week. Remember, they, it was a pre-order deal, and then mine shipped like three weeks later. I bought the the camera and then I bought the kit to mount it to the inside of a window where I wanted to look outside the house. There was a window is like in the perfect spot. Oh, okay. And um, it, it's crazy how small this camera is. So, you know, I've got the Canary and I have uh, a couple Nest cams, but this thing is is truly small. And the mounting kit is really clever. So it comes with a mount that you can just, uh, you know, like... Uh, put the power on the back of it and then you put it in this thing and it's got super sticky pads and goes onto the window so it sits flush and so there's no glare or anything around which is really nice because the their lens is like as close to the glass as possible does that make sense yeah yeah hmm. so, so is this is this the is this a camera that they promised you would get home kit support later yes at, like at some and and i was thinking about this um because this, the news, like we talked about this camera before WWDC, and then at WWDC, Apple said uh, we're gonna roll out software uh, certification for HomeKit devices. So back when we were talking about this camera, we were like, how can they add HomeKit support later if they don't have a chip? And then at WWDC, Apple comes out and says, well, you don't need a chip anymore. So it seems to me like Logitech knew, of course ahead of yeah. the conference and they launched this product with the promise of HomeKit because they knew Apple was, you know, gonna roll out software updates to add HomeKit support, which is nice. Yeah, it is. Um the 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 app that it comes with is it's okay. Um there's a couple of things in there that I that I don't really like as far as like some of the settings are a little ham fisted. There's not a lot of finesse that you see in, in other like in the Nest Cam, for instance, but it's, it's a new product. I think they'll get there. One thing that's really nice is the timeline view. So on the right side of the screen, you have uh, basically a timeline. You can kind of flick through it and see every time over the last however many you know days it is that the camera has seen activity. So mm-hmm. if you have notifications off uh, or 
or you just kind of want to like, oh, someone came back earlier, you can scroll back and it they're all marked and you can just tap it and it plays a little clip. You can save the clip if you want. Uh, it's all really like the software. It's it's sort of basic in some areas, but the timeline feature is really good. Um, I, I do have like a a lot of camera apps now, so I have the Canary app and the Nest Home app because I've got the thermostat as well, and now this. So um, that's uh, that's a little a little funny on my mm-hmm. on one of my home screens, just a, a whole row of them. <laughs> you uh, you you like uh, you like being watched. That's the I like the... watching. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. So the, <clears throat> the the one thing I didn't uh, anticipate. And I don't know why I didn't. My house has storm windows. So I have the regular windows and there's an air gap and there's the exterior storm windows. So I have yeah. lots of glare on mine. So I'm kind of working out, working that out. I may end up moving this thing. But um, all in all, I've been, I've been happy with it. I think it does a great job. And uh, I really think this, their modularity. So you have the, 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 the window mount, but then you have other mounts that you can buy or that it comes with to use the camera in different ways. They have one that's um, got a battery pack on it. Um, that, I think that's a really clever way of doing it. Instead of selling like Nest has the interior and the exterior cameras, this is all sort of the same little like, um, to use a hypercritical term, uh, naked robotic core, and then you just put on different attachments to make it work where you want it. I think that's a really smart approach. Hmm, that's nice. Uh, once they do the HomeKit integration, I should probably consider one of these especially like uh because of the you know the, i can put it anywhere i like that approach like there's freedom granted by this m- modular system and that appeals to me so once they do the home kit integration if it works well uh i think i'm gonna i'm gonna get one of these and maybe use it outside i don't know but basically once you get two dogs you have the perfect excuse to buy all the cameras you want because you want to monitor them and i assume it's the same with babies um, so I'm in the market for more cameras, especially if they, they have HomeKit integration. So we'll see. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, so that's, that's that camera, uh, thumbs up from me. We'd have someone asking, uh, asking us to, to let them know when the rock is running for president. He's not yet. Not yet. And that's all, not yet, not yet <laughs> but we'll see. Yeah. Uh, so this is a, a funny, a funny story. This came up, uh, uh, last week. So Wink is a, uh, they have an iPhone app, they have a platform that kind of connects different smart home things. So I, I use it the same way Mike does, where I can control my Canary camera with my Echo. So I can tell the Echo, you know, turn my camera on or off and it can do it. Wink does a lot of things, but that's what I use it for. They were like inside of a company called Quirky that was trying to make like smart connected objects that sort of imploded. And then it was bought by Flextronics, but now it's been bought again by mm. our friend. I don't want to say friend of the show; that seems a bit a bit strong. But um, friend <laughs> of humanity, will I am? Oh well, um, okay. Um, so is this so, going to be like? Uh, is this going to be on Planet of the Apps at this point? Will I mean, I his company, is- yeah, I am plus bought it. I don't really know. So I'm looking at their website right now. I don't know what they do. Like they have some Bluetooth headphones here that look sort of ridiculous. Oh yeah, like the like fake beats uh, by other yes artists. Yeah, there's a bunch of those. Um, yeah, I mean, okay. Uh, so William's company is getting into home automation uh, because it's the hot space at the moment. I don't know because these services that you know that they act uh, as a kind of as a software bridge 
between all of these different devices. I, I don't know how long they can last for two reasons. One, because most people, I think they prefer the native integrations and like using the native stuff on iOS and Android. So whatever Google is doing and what Apple is doing with Home, it's just a better experience. You know, you get the Siri integration, you get the native app, you get all this, you know, the hooks into the system and it works better than these third-party solutions. But also by... You know, because you're building a third-party bridge on top of other services and other APIs, the moment that something breaks, you're going to have to update your entire platform and it's going to be a problem because Wink doesn't control all, you know, it doesn't, or maybe it doesn't have the same leverage as Apple on companies like Philips, for example, and, you know, or you know, uh, Honeywell, for instance, or what's the name of the other uh, thermostat that it's really nice. The uh, Ecobee. The Ecobee. So I think when Apple and Google approach these companies, they're like, hey, you got to support our framework and here's the API and make sure that it works and that you follow these guidelines and that you support these APIs. It feels to me like these bigger companies, they have a stronger leverage and those manufacturers, they tend to follow, you know, uh, Apple and Google because they're the platform owners. But it's not the same, well, you know, uh, this API is breaking the Wink support. And I mean, sure, but what you're going to do about it? Uh, so I, I don't have any, I, I don't have, I, I feel like these third-party services that connect other third parties, they're going to be short-lived and yeah. they, they work well now, but I wouldn't bet on them for the future, honestly. No, I, I agree. And as the built-in stuff just gets better, like with HomeKit, you know, being more reasonable to work with, I think the writing's on the wall. So, anyways, well, yeah. I am. Did not expect to talk about his company today. Uh, I wanted to ask you, like, what whatever happened to Planet of the Apps? Because we... Beats watched. me. <laughs> so, does anyone know? Like, the first episode, I saw a bunch of people saying oh, episode two is better, episode three is better, but then it kind of faded into the background. So, I don't know, did it ever finish the... I don't. I don't know. I thought y'all were going to finish watching it. Did y'all not keep it up? I didn't. I didn't finish watching the show at all. Like I, I watched segments of the first episode because it just didn't pull me in at all. I'm really excited about the carpool karaoke that Apple is doing on Apple Music. That one, that show, I'm excited about. Then it's launching. Uh, I think next week on August 8th, Apple had a promo video, so that is looking good. But this plan of the apps, man, I, I think. Uh, you know, those people that were skeptical ahead of the release, they were kind of right. It just doesn't feel like a like a, like a a good fit for Apple and the App Store and maybe the way that it was promoted also was doomed to fail. Uh, I, don't, I don't think we'll see another experiment like this in terms of Apple doing fake reality TV. Yeah, I, I, I think I agree with you on all that. The, the promo for Carpool Karaoke was a lot of fun. Like it, it, yeah. it was fun to watch, and I, um, I, I think I'm looking forward to checking the the first episode of that out. Maybe yeah. we'll do that for uh, we'll do that for next week's show, probably. Yeah, but even thematically, you know, it's such a better fit for Apple Music to oh, have yeah. a TV show about music inside the streaming services, you know, that you pay for. That's a great idea. So we'll see how it goes. So this week's episode is brought to you by Squarespace. Make your next move with Squarespace. You can use the offer code WORLD at checkout to get 10% off your first purchase. Squarespace lets you easily create a website for your next idea. You get a unique domain name, award-winning templates, and much more. 
Maybe you want to create an online store where ours at Relay is built on Squarespace. Or maybe you're an artist and want to create a portfolio, or you just want to be a writer and have a blog. Squarespace is the all-in-one platform that lets you do all of that stuff. You can pull these different pieces together and build just what you want. There's nothing to install, no patches to worry about, no upgrades needed. You don't have to worry about that stuff because Squarespace, they just have it covered. They have award-winning 24-7 customer support if you need help, lets you quickly and easily grab a unique domain name, and all of these great templates are beautifully designed, they're fully responsive, and they're built to show off your great ideas. Like I said, we use Squarespace at Relay for our store and our blog, and it just makes it so easy to manage inventory or to write a blog post or to make sure stuff gets shipped. It's all uh, just super simple, and we know it's uh, fast and safe and secure because of Squarespace. Their plans start at just $12 a month, but you can start a trial with no credit card required by going to squarespace.com. And when you do decide to sign up, use the offer code WORLD to get 10% off your first purchase and to show your support for Connected. We thank you to Squarespace for their support of this show. Squarespace, make your next move, make your next website. So, Stephen, are you sad this week? Uh, a little bit. Uh so so last week, it was a Thursday, I think, yeah, the 27th, someone noticed that Apple.com slash iPod just redirected to Apple.com slash iPod Touch. And in the store, the iPod Nano and iPod Shuffle cannot be found. About an hour later, Apple uh, issued a statement to some members of the press. There was, not, there was no press release or anything basically saying they were simplifying their iPod lineup with they updated the iPod Touch storage and pricing and discontinuing the Shuffle and Anna. And now they're gone. They're gone, Federico. That is that is kind of sad. Like, what a subtle way to go out, you know? Like Not with a bang, but with a whimper. That's a solid quote. Uh, it's a good job. Um, I think it's... I mean, it's to be expected at this point. Like... Obviously, most people are listening to music either on YouTube or Apple Music or Spotify. Uh, Spotify, by the way, announced they have, I think, 60 million subscribers. So that's pretty oh, awesome. Wow. Yeah, that's yeah. a lot of people. And it's, it's, uh, it's clear that the, the general market is going into that direction of paying for streaming music. And I know we talked about this before. There's still space for classic music players especially because they just work, right? You don't have to worry about cellular connections. You don't have to worry about storage because what you pay for is the storage you have and then you put songs in there and you're done. Uh, But most people do not listen to music that way anymore. And I know that for a long time you've been one of those people, longer than Mike and I have, for Mm -hmm. sure. So how do you feel about the classic ipod the notion of the classic ipod going away i mean i I, i'm fully aware that the reality you outline is is what's true that people are streaming music and listening on their iphones and like i you know i have an ipod that i'll travel with some but i don't listen to music on an ipod on a regular basis i still use itunes on a regular basis which i think we're gonna talk about in a minute but I think a lot of people saw this news and were surprised that it hadn't happened already. Like some people on Twitter were like, uh, wait, this, they hadn't done this already. Uh, and some comments under my YouTube video said the same thing, which I just found surprising. (laughs) So, you know, I don't know why the time is now. Maybe they're just sort of cleaning up in advance of the home pod. You know, maybe they are, uh, 
they had some sort of limited quantity left and they, they reached the end of that quantity and now it's just done. I do think there is still room for something like the shuffle. And and I think a lot of people, uh, when they heard me say that, responded with the the Apple Watch. And so so last night, I just went to Twitter with the show account and asked people, do you listen to music that you sync to your Apple Watch? And we got a bunch of replies and a bunch of people do it and a bunch of people don't do it. Like it, I, I found it really interesting. The people who do it seem really excited about it. And then, you know, I think a lot of people are like me when they go for a run or for a bike ride, they're going to have their phone anyways. And so the watch hasn't become important enough or, you know, capable enough to stand on its own for them so that they're not using the iPod functionality in the watch, which I found really interesting. Like, And I was curious what you do. Like, have you synced or listened to music just on your watch? I think the the point for me is I have synced music but um, it's so, the process is so invisible after you set it up. I don't even know if I'm streaming from the iPhone or the watch. Like, mm-hmm. I, I guess if I start music from the watch itself and that playlist happens to be downloaded, then it's streaming music from my watch. But I think I, I have done this before, like when I was working out, for example, and my phone was uh, in my house. Um, but I don't think I even thought about it. Like, it just happened. And maybe maybe I am one of those users, after all. I just haven't thought about it. Because I, I set it up months ago. Like, I picked a bunch of playlists that I want to be available on my watch. Uh, I think that's what I did. And then I just, without thinking about it, I put on my AirPods and the watch. And before starting a workout, I hit play in the music app. And yeah, so I guess I am a user of that. Not that often, but I think it uh, it worked pretty well. So I didn't notice anything weird. So yeah, I guess I, I do use it. Yeah, I, I agree with you. The The whole mechanism for syncing music to the watch or playing music back on the watch, making sure your AirPods are, are paired, all of that could be better. And But, but all that said... You know, my point of like the, something like the shuffle still has room in this world with something super small. You just clip it on. You doesn't weigh anything and you can just go like the watch is a better version of that because you're already wearing it if you own one and you don't have to have wired headphones because they work with AirPods. And so I, I think the watch hopefully over time will take over that role. And, and for me, once it can do sa- sailor stuff, I'll leave my phone behind, Yeah. Um, uh, which we've talked about length in the past. So, you know, I think this whole story is like it's surprising it took so long. It makes total sense that they did it. And it's, you know, I played up, like, if you watch my video, like, it's it's intentionally sad. Like, it's, the piano music is really sad. It's very sad. It's very sad. And when you when the iPod kind of trips over, because it, yeah. it's kind of falling, <laughs> I thought that was, like, top-notch uh, movie moment in the video. <laughs> like, super sad, super sort of nostalgic. And uh, that was really yeah. solid work. Um, the hardest part of that was speaking... It's such a monotone voice. Like I shot that like six times. Like it's like I kept wanting to, you know, have inflection and like be, mm-hmm. you know, myself. And it's like, no, you have to talk. Be, emo- be emotional. Very, very quietly. Yeah. But like it, it, you know, I, that's played up in the video, right? Like I think there are people, like I did hear from people who ran out and like bought a shuffle or bought a nano for, I think maybe even now you can still get one if they're in stores. Because mm-hmm. uh, some people do want them, but clearly the era of the iPod is over. Like yeah. Obviously. Yeah, and speaking about the watch, I think 
Uh, I mean, besides cellular connection. So uh, if the watch ever gets a SIM card and I can put a SIM in there and I can stream music wherever I am, uh, that's going to be awesome because I can just walk around, pick a pick a song. Maybe it doesn't have to be synced. I don't even have to know. And it goes straight to my AirPods or you know, maybe even to my car's Bluetooth. You know, that could be an idea. So that's going to be great. But I think also there should be away on the iPhone so when you're using the music app I would like to have like a button that says send this album or send this playlist to the watch and like you directly from the music app on the phone so you don't have to go into the watch app nobody uses the watch app uh, besides to do settings and you know setup but I think to have contextual features sort of like when you're using test flight and from test flight itself you can flip a toggle and you put the app of that you know iphone app on the watch i would like to have that kind of toggle in music to say download this album or playlist or whatever on the watch and if you combine that with seller and if you combine that also with possibly increased independency from the iphone so if the watch becomes more independent from the iPhone. If Siri doesn't have to, you know, to go back and forth, jump back and forth between the iPhone to, you know, to answer questions and to do the processing. So if the watch gets serious processing features, like it can do more directly on the chip inside the watch, you're basically going to have a true wearable device that it doesn't require an iPhone. It can still communicate with the iPhone, but you can also use it on your own. And that kind of becomes the the future of the iPod in a way, it is truly a pod that is always with you and it mm. doesn't need a bridge to iTunes or to the iPhone. So that would be that would be amazing, honestly. Yeah, it, it, it kind of lives up to that promise of the iPod. Yeah. Like in a in a in a more full way, right? Like the iPod you always had to have in your pocket or, or make sure you had it on you, right? You left it in your car or something. And like my watch, like I, I get up and I put it on. And it's, I take it off before bed, and it's with me all day, and I don't have to to think about it. Now, of course, most of us are that, that way with our phones, too, but the watch is like one step further that, you know, if I go out and do something physical, it may be the only device I have with me. Um, and I agree with you. I think the idea of having that toggle in the music app is brilliant. And because, I mean, when I, when I upgraded watches earlier this year, you know, I keep a playlist of like... I call it like my reserve playlist of like if I'm stranded somewhere and just want to listen to something, like just a couple of albums that I really care about. And I had to like sit down and remember how to do it. And like I do this stuff for a living, right? It's like where, like how do I get music on this thing, right? Like you have to have a playlist set up and then you have to go to the watch app and find the playlist. And then it takes approximately 200 years to sync it all. All of that could be better. And I, I think they'll, I really think they'll get there. You know, I don't know if they're ever going to have the whole Apple Music client on the watch, I kind of hope not. But I think it should definitely be easier. Like, the watch should be a destination for mm-hmm. a song that you're playing with right now. Like, it's like the share sheet. You can send stuff around. The watch should be at the end of one of those commands, I think. Yeah, especially in, in iOS 11. Like, we're seeing some of these ideas. Like, in Photos, there's now, uh, on the iPhone, there's now an extension that when you when you share a photo, there's a button in at the bottom row that says... Um, use as watch face and it's kind of the same idea like taking content such an awful word but taking (laughs) stuff from the iphone and offering like contextual shortcuts to say also put this on the watch because it's you know it's a shortcut to an object that is always with us 
but you don't want to spend time setting everything up from scratch. So I think the more iOS moves in this direction of uh, offering options and shortcuts and like quick ways to take what is on the phone and put it on the watch, that's going to be so useful. And uh, especially, you know, because the watch is still not independent from the iPhone. So we need more of these options, I think. Yeah, no, totally agree. I'd like to see them push that forward. Uh, But to to back up a little bit from what we talked about, this leaves a big iTunes-shaped question on the table. Mm, Yeah. So uh, I don't know if people know this. So I have like the the very first iPod, like the 2001 iPod. That still syncs with iTunes today. Like you have to have like FireWire 400 to 800 to Thunderbolt. But if you can physically hook it up, it still syncs. Like all that junk is still in iTunes. And some of us, you know, I I still sync music to my phone over USB, even though more and more I, I feel the call of Spotify. But... that all that stuff is like wrapped up in iTunes and iTunes on the Mac, um, let alone windows is aging. And if you're an Apple music subscriber, it's actually kind of confusing in places. And it's just, it's an old app that, that feels uh, increasingly uh, out of date and sort of out of context with, with everything else that they're doing. Like if you look at media management in iTunes and look at like the new, the new TV app on iOS, their worlds of difference and the TV app is a lot better in a lot of ways. And I wonder if part of this is with an eye cut to the future where iTunes is, is marked as legacy and and replaced with something slowly. And that if they replace it with something, it has none of that syncing stuff in it, right? The people like me who sync music to their phones, even, you know, we're going to get caught up in this and Hey, you know, this new app, you have local music, you have Apple music, music, Apple music, music, and, and that's it. And if you still want syncing, iTunes is still over here. We'll support it for a couple, you know, OS releases. But I can't help but wonder if this is the beginning of a move in that direction. Yeah, I mean, it's time. It's time, right? Like it's 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 time. Yeah, I I guess so. Like, just pull the trigger and split up iTunes in multiple apps. Offer a, like an actual Apple Music client on the Mac. I was trying to use Apple Music on my Mac a few days ago, so I was about to record a show. And I was early, so I had like 10 minutes. I was like, you know what? I'm going to listen to a song. So I click on the iTunes icon. And let aside the fact that you got to deal with the iTunes UI, like the entire store navigation. But also, like, I picked a song in Apple Music. And then, you know, on iOS, when you're listening to a song and you want to jump to the full album, you can click on the, you can tap on the uh, song name or the artist's name and you jump into the, like the parent view of the album that contains the song. Um, and I couldn't figure out how to do the same on the Mac. So it's like, um, I was clicking around and like, I, I don't know how to get from a single to the full album. I have no idea. Um, and that's because they, they sort of brought Apple Music into iTunes, but they're still constrained by the entire paradigms and the UI metaphors that iTunes uses. So honestly, at this point, I think Apple is doing a disservice to the to people who pay for Apple Music by not offering a native client on the Mac and just making a feature of iTunes because it's just so complex. And it's always been complex, but at this point, it's just ridiculous. You got TV shows and podcasts and Apple Music in there. It doesn't make sense anymore. And now that you don't have classic iPods anymore... I think it's the right moment to, you know, it's been a good run, iTunes, but it's time to move on. Uh, agreed. Uh, I think, 
I think even those of us who have a lot of local music and big libraries, it's, I agree with you. You know, we have a family iTunes that I have set up to automatically download anything we purchase, but like movies are in there, TV shows are in there for the whole family. And that library is huge. I mean, it's got, I mean, who knows how many movies and TV shows in it. And like anytime I have to do anything in it and it's on a machine that's, you know, it's, it's an older Mac mini, but the library is on a Drobo. Like it's pretty fast set up. And anytime I do anything in there, it's just like, I just, I just want to strangle it. And you know, my, uh, my library on my iMac is much smaller, but even there on a, you know, two year old iMac with an SSD and a, and a music only smaller library, it's still so just, just awkward because they've added so many things over the years and bolted so many things on. And they did they, a couple of years ago, the redesign helped with some of that, but like, Try to like explain to somebody over the phone how to make a playlist in iTunes. Like you, ca- it cannot be done. Like you cannot do it um, because it is just it, it's just grown into this this monster. And you know, if iPods going away or you know, if that's a signal or if that is is Apple sort of giving itself permission to say, hey, you know what, this this old model of music, some people still want it, but it is you know. It is the past and more and more focusing on Apple Music. I mean, the quarterly results services is up again. Like, it's a growing part of the company. Then your software should mirror that reality, I think. So, I think that does it. Good, uh, rest in peace, iPod Nano and Shuffle. Thank yeah. you for the years of fun. <laughs> lots of years. Lots of years. Lots of fun. Uh, we're going to talk about iPads in a second. But first, I want to tell you about Hover. This episode of Connected is brought to you by Hover. When you have a great idea for your project, blog, store, startup, you need to give it a great domain name. Finding that perfect domain name is ridiculously easy with Hover. They have this search box and you go, say you just have a word or a phrase, put it in the search box and it tells you, hey, these are all of the domains that are you know, for sale with those words. And sometimes they can even help you find something that you hadn't thought about. It's a really clever way of doing it. What I really like about it is that there are no upsells. If you go uh, and all you want to do is buy a domain name or an email address, you shouldn't have to opt out of page after page of add-ons that you don't want or need. We've all used companies like that, and it's just icky. That's why Hover only offers domains and email, actually, so you can focus on finding that great domain name and get back to working on your great idea. They shouldn't get in the way. They believe that you shouldn't have to pay for things that should already be included with your domain. You know, most people don't know that when you register a domain name, your contact information, so your email address, phone number, home address, is published online. And marketers, spammers, and hackers can find it in what's called a Whois database. Now, most companies, they charge you to hide that stuff from Whois. But Hover includes free Whois privacy with all supported domains to keep your information confidential. And they just do it for you. It's not an added thing. You don't have to find the checkbox. They just do it because they, they respect their customers. Find the perfect domain name for your idea. Go to hover.com slash connected to get 10% off your first purchase. Once again, that's hover.com slash connected to find out more and get 10% off your first purchase. Hover, domain names for your ideas. Thank you so much to Hover for their support of this show and RelayFM. So you, uh, your platform of choice had a, a big, uh, big news day yesterday. Yeah, so Apple posted their uh, Q3 2017 uh results and one aspect stood out uh, especially considering the past couple of years that ipad sales are up uh, like 15 percent 
increase uh, year over year and 28% from the previous quarter. Um, and that is a notable uh, piece of information because the iPad sales have been down for, <laughs> I think, two to three years. It's been a recurring topic of the show where Mike and I are really excited about the iPad, but the iPad sales don't do not back <laughs> our excitement. And yeah, the, the last time they had growth was... I believe 2013, 2014, year over year. So it's been it's been three years. Yeah, so it's been a long stretch of time. And um, obviously, like looking at the numbers, uh, yes, the sales are up 15%. But in terms of, um, you know, in terms of revenue, uh, they're only up, I think, 2%. Yeah. And that suggests that Apple has sold a lot of cheaper iPads. So the new ones starting at, uh, three hundred and twenty-nine dollars. So the 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 iPad, the I think the fifth generation iPad is called, uh, mm-hmm. that launched uh, earlier this year. And we were talking uh, back when that iPad was announced. We said it's obviously an iPad for education purposes and for people who just want the basic tablet. And it seems that's exactly what happened. Uh, Apple sold a bunch of these iPads to education um, customers. Uh, also, they I, I'm pretty sure that during the call, Tim Cook noted that the education sales were up. So suggests that iPad is doing well in, the, in that segment. And of course, the, Apple saw demand for people who want to spend $300 on an iPad, don't want an iPad Pro, don't want stuff like the pencil and the smart keyboard. So they went there and they sold those iPads. So while it's great that iPad sales are up again, they're I think they're not up in the way that people like Mike and I would like them to be up. So in terms of iPad Pro and, you know, people switching from Windows PC and Macs to the iPad as a full-time computer. Uh, But I think it has momentum. Like the platform has momentum at this point. There's a uh, there's a new narrative that iPad sales can be up and there's, you know, new iPad Pro hardware that launched uh, in June really powerful stuff, you know, with the ProMotion display, with the, you know, with the pencil performance, with the new screens, the new screen size, and there's iOS 11 launching later this year. So I think if you combine these two, if you combine, you know, the fact that Apple can still sell more iPads than we expect, and they have, uh, you know, this sort of one-two punch of the iPad Pro and iOS 11 in the same year, I think that bodes well for uh, even the next quarter. Um, if Apple can still provide a reasonable story around iOS 11 for people who want to switch to the iPad, I think uh, now more than ever, really, since 2014, they have a chance to re-explain uh, the iPad to people. At least I want to believe again or still that this can happen. I don't know. What do you think? No, I mean, so I think the the breakdown of of clearly the 329 iPad has taken off. I think they said in the call um, a, a million to education uh, so far. Part of that is that spring launch, right? They got in there for for school purchasing, but clearly people who buy iPads in bulk were looking for a device like that. And it's great for consumers as well because it's cheap and it's got, you know, relatively newish stuff in there, but clearly a big hit for people who buy lots of iPads. And while that may not translate to the iPad Pro market growing right now, I think it it could open the door for that in the future if people are using iPads at school 
or at work, you know, you know, their their teacher or their boss assigns them an iPad, then you know maybe they get used to it, and, and that's good for the the whole ecosystem down the road. But it's not it's not today, right? That's a, a long term thing. But I think like the basic story here is that the iPad has some momentum, and that the the narrative now is not well the iPad keeps sliding, but now the narrative is hey you know the iPad is is on the upswing and we have to you know wait another three months to see if it it, it does that again or if this is a one time thing, but you know Apple Apple stock closed at an all time high after hours yesterday. And there's lots of reasons for that, but I, I, I would imagine at least one reason is that the iPad is no longer sliding, that, that it has not only stopped but made up ground. And so I think that's the big story. I think we get bogged down in like individual devices, but I think overall it's a thumbs up that the iPad is is finding its legs again. Yeah, I think so. And I think ultimately it all comes down to what the reception to iOS 11 is going to be like. And judging from what we see on Twitter, and we talked about this also, um, I think it's going to be, for pro users, sort of a divisive release, uh, because the multitasking stuff is not going down well with... Some people are used to, you know, the Mac metaphor of spaces and multitasking and, like, doing split views. Um, But I think Apple can adjust to those over time, and they can still figure out ways to appeal to you know the folks who want to switch because that's all what it is about really apple wants to convince folks who are still on windows pcs and other desktop computers to switch to ipads and i feel like with this new hardware and with ios 11 um, and if the developer community can respond to the features in ios 11 and sort of uh, revitalizing the ipad app store with stuff like drag and drop and uh, you know, integrating with the keyboard shortcuts that maybe some folks ignored when um, iOS 9 uh, launched. I think the iPad ecosystem could become much stronger than it is today. And when that happens, does it have a reflection on sales? The, can Apple convince folks to abandon their, you know, their five-year-old crummy uh, PC to something modern and faster and better? That's the big question, and that also depends not just on the hardware that Apple can make you know, exceptionally well, or the software which Apple is making again for the iPad this time, but it also is, depends on marketing, and it depends on you know, pricing, pricing, and it depends on how do you reach those customers. And so judging from the marketing campaigns that Apple has done for the iPad Pro in the past few months, those have been effective, I think, um, you know, they're on TV everywhere. There's people talking about the iPad Pro. And those are nice ads. After all, they're short. They're, you know, they communicate uh, the goal of the iPad as a platform. And so I think Apple has, you know, momentum in a bunch of different fields surrounding the iPad. Marketing, software, hardware, and now even results. Uh, and usually when you have this... Um, you know, this combination of all these factors, usually it's really hard to do wrong, uh, you know, especially when you're a company like Apple. If you can communicate, if you got the hardware, you got the software, and you got the good pricing, um, and virtually no competition, you know, aside from the, the Surface tablets, um, you know, there's no other, uh, you know, basically it, it comes down to the iPad or the Surface at this point, Um I would be surprised if the next quarter the iPad doesn't do well, but you know, 
maybe I'm wrong. And maybe this is just a one-off of people who bought the cheap iPad. Yeah, I mean, I think time will tell. Uh, if anything, I would hope that it just it levels off, right? That if we if it can't sustain the growth at, at the very least, you know, maybe the the cheap iPad gave it a push, and iOS 11 will sort of uh, keep it there. Um, I, I was hoping, I think, like the two of you were, that the the 10.5 inch iPad Pro would have made a, a bigger difference than, than it seemed to. You know, Apple doesn't release numbers on how many models they sell. This is all sort of inferred from the sales percentage increase and the revenue percentage increase. But I, I think, you know, I think with iOS 11, you know, if someone's on an older iPad, that may, you know, they, that may entice them to upgrade. They may look at that 10.5 and, or, or the, the 329 iPad and, and, and move forward. I think the other the interesting thing here is that the the iPad Mini is not part of this conversation at all, right? Like people are assuming it's the the nine point seven inch iPad, and the 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 Mini is just just not in the conversation. It's still for sale, you can still buy an iPad Mini. I think there's one SKU, but it uh, if we had had this conversation three years ago, people would be like, oh yeah, the iPad Mini must be on the uptake. But I think now the Mini is sort of like the those iPods we talked about where it's I think it's time is is slipping away from it. Yeah. Yeah. I I I don't know anyone who uses an iPad mini anymore. Like even my friends you used to, you used to do all your work on an iPad mini. Do you I, like when we I started the, when we started this show you ran Mac stories on an iPad mini. I I that is that is absolutely true and it's the iPad that got me into the idea of working on the iPad. So um I owe the iPad Mini big time, really. Uh, but uh, it's again like sort of like iTunes and <laughs> the old iPads. I think it's past its time, you know, with big iPhones and the uh, the new iPad Pros. Um, I, I don't see a spot for the iPad Mini anymore. Uh, and, and, and iOS 11 is so obviously geared or something with a larger screen. Oh yeah. oh like yeah. it's it's oh better yeah. on like, the 10.5 than the 9.7. But I haven't played with it on the twelve point nine. But I imagine it's way better oh, on the twelve nine. It's it's much much better on the, as always. You know, with split view and these features, it's so much better on the big screen. So, uh, anything else uh, about the iPads or anything else in the quarter of the results that jump out at you? Well, um, the services revenue. I think that was interesting. Uh, that Apple is still growing, and I saw the argument that um, from some folks on Twitter that much of the app, the revenue that Apple reports on their services is actually a fee because they are a payment processor. So like they, they process payments on, uh, you know, for customers on iTunes and the App Store and they take a fee, uh, for example, from developers. And that is not really uh, generating revenue like Google or Amazon do. They're like actually providing services. Uh, so the argument goes that Apple owes uh, a huge portion of its services revenue to the rather, uh, you know, non-exciting act of taking a commission. But it, I don't think the argument is fair, honestly, because uh, running the App Store and the iTunes Store itself is running a service, and a huge one, if you consider all the users that, that Apple has. And also, Google and others also take a fee from you know purchases on the Google Play Store, for example, uh, so Apple is not alone. And also, there's iCloud and Apple Music, and I don't think it's fair to describe Apple as a payment, pro- you know, as a payment processor when they have 
an actual music streaming service that appears to be doing quite well. And also, they also have iCloud Drive and they support features like sharing uh, storage and you can buy multiple tiers of storage. And iCloud is going to take on more responsibilities with iOS 11 considering all this, the stuff that you can store on iCloud now and sync with iCloud from messages to your health data. So I don't think it's fair to describe Apple as making money on services by taking a fee from developers because that it's not all they do. Um, I still think Apple is not you know, providing the same, the same, in some fields, the same quality services as Google. Uh, so I, I still think Apple is quite behind Google in terms of the details of some products. But overall, Apple, I don't think there's any doubt that Apple is embracing services and charging people money for services from Apple Music to iCloud. And the App Store is part of that, but I don't think it defines Apple as a services company. And in fact, I think we're going to see even more services type products from Apple. For example, if they ever do the TV bundle that was rumored for years, that's going to be another, uh, you know... Uh, I saw that on Twitter, and I thought it was worth discussing. Oh, it's good. Uh, I think a couple other things jumped out at me. Uh, in the comments, uh, Apple said that the Apple Watch sales were up 50% year over year. That's a Bezos number because we don't know what the you know what those numbers actually are. It's just that they're up. Uh, I wish they would, would give numbers um i think it'd be really interesting to know those numbers but they lumped them in they lumped the apple watch in with other products where the ipod uh is as well but clearly the watch is doing well but we don't know how well uh, we just know you know relative terms i find that interesting in this quarter the watch seems like such a holiday uh item and so uh, if it's up now this much that i i would hope that the holiday quarter would be even better and you know, this comes sort of it's sort of in the background. We're going to talk about all the iPhone stuff shortly, but it's sort of in the background is the idea that there's a new watch coming in the fall. I'm not sure I buy into that. I feel like the watch is a two-year cycle, but if it is, there's a new watch coming and it's really compelling and they can make enough of them this year. The holiday quarter could be really big for the Apple Watch. Again, with like yeah, air it, quote numbers. If if Apple can do the watch that with the, with the SIM card this year... I'm totally gonna get another one Same. because I really want. I really want the independent watch, uh, but I, I don't uh, like you said. I don't know if the watch can be updated on an annual basis. Um, the rumor, well, not a rumor. What the uh, what some analysts believe as an estimation is that uh, the Apple Watch sales are approaching 30 million units to date. Um, they they built this estimation by looking at the other section of the revenue reported by Apple and basically building uh, trends for the previous other revenue and then calculating the difference now that the watch is included and sort of estimating the, the units and the revenue that those generated. So a bunch of analysts seem to agree that Apple Watch is now up to 29 slash 30 million units wow. sold to date, which is a good number. It is a I good think. number. Uh, yeah. The only thing that jumped out at me was the, the Mac number. So the Sales were flat year over year, but the the revenue is up a percentage. I forget the exact number, but uh, sort of the op, sort of like, sort of like what we're talking about the iPad that it's all lots of growth, but but a small increase in revenue. Or the Mac was flat, but a little bit 
more revenue, and so people are are buying slightly more expensive machines. I think that's continuing to be the new MacBook Pro. They they do have a cheaper Escape version now with the no touch bar, but overall, like the the entry, you know, fifteen inch is more than it used to be. The kind of decent thirteen inch is more than it used to be. So I still think that MacBook Pro is carrying that number. Uh, they spoke on the call about the iMac Pro. I think that there are definitely people holding off on uh, a new iMac right now for the iMac Pro. And so, oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> uh, once that lands the end of this year, which is really coming up, it's August already. Then I, I expect the Mac number, if they can sell them in that quarter and it doesn't slip until calendar twenty eighteen. Uh, I would expect the Mac to, to finish the year strong with the iMac Pro because it's going to be so expensive. And I think there are definitely people like almost everyone I've talked to, like who does what we do, like if they work on mm-hmm. a Mac, most of them have iMacs and most of them are the year of uh, the 2015 or older. And I know a bunch right. of people who are like super pumped for the iMac there's Pro. A, there's a pent up demand Absolutely. for the iMac Pro. And when that happens, it's going to generate a bump in the Mac revenue for sure. Yeah. So I think you're right. So that'll, that'll be fun to, to look out for. But I mean, all in all, a, a good quarter. I know we don't talk a lot about the results on this show, but I think it's interesting to talk about the products kind of embedded in the results. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah, I think so. Uh, Tim also mentioned that there's a little bit of a pause on iPhone sales. We're going to talk about that and, and why that may be after uh, this last break. This episode is brought to you by Pingdom. Start monitoring your websites and servers today at pingdom.com slash RelayFM. You'll get a 14-day free trial. And when you enter the offer code CONNECTED at checkout, you'll get 30% off your first invoice. Pingdom is focused on making the web faster and more reliable for everyone who has a website. So we run Pingdom on RelayFM. We had some downtime uh, late last week, and I got a notification from them. So I, I didn't have to wait till someone emailed me or tweeted me. I knew right away. And they do this by offering powerful and easy-to-use tools and services. For example, if you're a Pingdom user, monitoring the availability and performance of your server, database, or website is just its a breeze. They take care of this by using more than 70 global test servers that emulate visits to your site, checking its availability as often as every minute. These days, websites are becoming more and more sophisticated and very often include several dependencies such as contact forums, e-commerce checkouts, logins, search functionality, and loads more. These things just have a lot of moving parts, and Pingdom makes it possible to monitor the availability of all these key interactions people will have with your site. It's not just a static site anymore. So many of us manage these behemoths. Let's be real. Stuff breaks on the internet all the time. And this, this number blows my mind. Every month, Pingdom detects 13 million outages. That's more than 400,000 a day. So regardless of whether you have a small website or you're managing a complete infrastructure, it's super important to monitor its availability and its performance. All Pingdom needs is the URL you wish to monitor, and they take care of the rest. Like I said, you'll be detected immediately if an outage is, is uh, detected. You'll be uh, alerted to that, and you won't be caught when someone wants to access your site. So you need Pingdom. You should check it out today. You'll be the first to know if your site is down. Go to pingdom.com slash RelayFM again for that 14-day free trial and use the offer code CONNECTED at checkout to get a massive 30% off your first invoice. Our thanks to Pingdom for their support of this show and RelayFM. This this story, man. <laughs> it's... Uh, it's- so, so, it's the story story of the year so far, I think. I, th- I think when we get to the end of the year, we do our, our year roundup, we're going to talk about this. Yeah. Late last week, a, a firmware bundle for the HomePod was posted to the Apple developer site. 
uh, parentheses, mm. LOL. It was downloaded, as you might imagine, and a bunch of stuff came to light. And we're going to get into that and, uh, and get into the work some people have been doing on it. But it blows my mind that this happened. Like, it seems like a, a, pretty, a pretty big error on Apple's part. Mm-hmm. It's not, not great. Yeah. Um, again, you got people downloading this firmware files all the time, especially, you know, um, I subscribe, for example, to Twitter accounts and other notification services that they monitor the Apple servers, like the developer servers, yeah. and they alert you every time there's a new firmware, like an OTA download that you can get. Uh, that happens for like the major releases that happens for beta seeds, uh, you know, that go out to developers, that uh, happens for public betas, anything that is, on, that is on Apple CDN, you can download. And there are tools, to give you some context, you know, especially to our listeners, there are tools that allow you to download the IPSW file that, that is a firmware for Apple devices and to sort of decompress it and look inside the, you know, the, the operating system itself to... Uh, look at the APIs to look at the code that Apple writes and all these the assets the you know the references the all the symbols that you have like DOS you can ins- you can decompress it you can you know unload everything that is in there and take a look and very smart people do this all the time and this time they got lucky because this firmware was not supposed to be released now. So there's a link by John Gruber on During Fireball, and he quickly mentions that um, uh, he heard that the HomePod uh, firmware, uh, Apple was getting ready to seed um, a firmware update to a bunch of employees. And that's also what I heard like from a bunch of folks that, um, the there was supposed to be uh, a software update for HomePod units that are currently being tested by Apple employees. And somewhere along that process, something happened. And that um, firmware uh, ended up on the public server instead of the, I, I assume, instead of the employee-only one. Um, and I don't know how that happened. There can be, the, you know, there can be human error. There can be a service problem. I, I don't know the details, but um, that that seems to be, you know, that seems to be the backstory that is sort of circulating at the moment. And of course, Apple is not commenting on any of this, but it's fun to speculate. Anyway, uh, Stephen, give us the the summary of what was in there because it's quite a lot of stuff. <laughs> it's it's quite a lot of stuff. So let's talk about the HomePod first because uh, the phone stuff I think is more immediately interesting. Uh, there's a YouTube video floating around of all the sound effects the HomePod makes. I listened to all of them. I think they're all lovely. Like, <laughs> uh, good job, sound designers. That's on YouTube now. So sorry. Uh, also about the HomePod talks about the. Uh, there's a lot of debate about the display at the top of the HomePod. It seems like it's a, a 272 by 340 pixels. It's under a diffuser. So it's it's a very low res, very simple screen, uh, maybe even more like an LED matrix, but the diffuser sort of softens it. Uh, so that that was uh, in the code. There's also some, some information about it reports to the App Store uh, or it reports it to itself that it's an iPhone SE. But there's no infrastructure right now for like app extensions 
or third-party apps, uh, which is in line with what Apple told us, right? That there's no third-party apps on this thing yet. But so, so we're learning a lot about the device, and that's to be expected, right? You'd expect that the the firmware for a device talks about the device, so we know a few more things. But what's really interesting, or the work of like Stephen Trout Smith, uh, his by the link, by the way, a link to his Patreon will be in our show notes. Uh, mm-hmm. A Steve is just like a, a genuinely nice human being. I've gotten to know him a little bit over the last year. Uh, he's an incredible guy, super smart. And yeah. if you're interested in this stuff, like his Patreon is just a wealth of information. Um, so there'll be a link to that in the show notes. You should go check it out. But what he dug up about this next iPhone is is pretty incredible. So the the code name or the the reference is D22. Uh, something Gruber confirmed uh, also uh, with the nickname of Ferrari which I, I kind of like. Yeah. The display resolution is known now to be 1125 by 2436. That would allow, if my math is right, native uh, at 3X. So like the, the 6, 6S, and 7 Plus models are 3X, but they're scaling off screen and then and sort of smashing it down. This would be all native. Uh, it has uh in the code there's a lot about the design and then there's a lot about the the face id uh did you see this this artwork he dug up for the the way the phone looks yeah and i'm not sure what to think (laughs) so we should describe it it's exactly what you think it is where it is exactly what we talked about very thin bezels with uh, some sort of cutout at the top for the cameras and the earpiece that sort of pushes down uh, into the the display area and the display sort of comes up around it. Uh, it's kind of hard yeah. to explain, but it, if you think about what we've been talking about for months, this basically confirms it. Yeah, and I should before we we start talking about all of these features, I should mention that there is no uh, IPSW file for the HomePod firmware like in the traditional sense basically what these people caught was a was an ota update that hit the apple server and it's like when you see like an ota update for beta 2 to beta 3 for example and that goes back to the idea that it was supposed to be a software update for Apple folks who already have a HomePod and they were going to be able to okay. update the software okay. to a new version. So there's not like like an IPSW file that you download, like those files that you use to restore an iPhone with iTunes. Right. Uh, but there is still an OTA download Got it. that these people have managed to uh, decompress okay. and inspect. That, that makes that makes more sense. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. Uh, so um, let's talk about the new design. Like... Uh, we were, you know, there were speculation and rumors uh, about the effect that Apple was going to go with this sort of top-notch <laughs> design. Um, I, I suppose if they really go with this design, they're going to have some top-notch jokes about the iPhone. Oh, no. Uh, it, like, if Phil Schiller has an opportunity to make a dad joke, he's going to take yeah, the opportunity, yeah. right? Like, he's not going to let that go by. Yeah, yeah. It's They're going to they're gonna put top-notch in there somewhere. Oh, anyway, no doubt. Um. My big question right now is, how does Apple deal with the status bar? Um, Because you've got these two sort of ears floating at the top. And ideally, based on also what uh, Steve found in the code, there should be a way 
for iOS to split the status bar in two. So to have two halves of the, the status bar, one at the left, possibly with the signal and Wi-Fi, and at the right with everything else. Um, my question is, um, is the status bar integrated with the rest of the title bar at the bottom of the app, or is it like a black bar that kind of blends in with the top notch, with the, with the black frame of the phone? And because it's an OLED screen, the black of the little ears looks just like the black of the device itself. Right. Um, or is it more like... Um, like a like an edge to edge full blade design where the content appears to go all the way up to the corners and of course at the bottom where there's the function area supposedly uh, so it'll be interesting to see what kind of approach Apple takes if the status bar stays up to, at the top and it integrates with the content of apps and like title bars especially with the new iOS 11 design or if Apple kind of returns to the old black status bar style of iOS 5 for example and there's like a distinct separation between app content and status bar and I don't know what to think at this point I don't know what I prefer I was looking at some mock-ups that were going around on Twitter and I'm not sure what I prefer uh, I'm with you I'm, I'm a little torn it looks weird to have like content or display around that notch but it's only weird for the first few days and then you get used to it. Uh, there's a, a blog post by Alan Pike who he really breaks into breaks this down, talks about the screen resolution, talks about the opportunity for Apple to do stuff you know at the bottom of the screen and he has some screenshots there mm-hmm. that maybe iOS 11's design makes more sense on a phone like right. this. Um, right it's all yeah. very it's because all very interesting. Yeah, because you uh, basically with iOS 11, you get the new large title bar option. It's not enforced on developers. Like, it's an option you can enable it or you can keep the normal title bars. For context, the large title bar is the style that you get in Apple Music, uh, in Apple News, or, uh, you know, all the most of the system apps in the iOS 11 beta. So developers can also use that option. Um, and if you consider how weird it looks on existing devices, because it creates this big gap, uh, you know, uh, on top of the title, that gap makes it ideal for integrating it with the status bar somehow, or sort of putting the clock maybe... Uh, in the center of that gap underneath the the notch that's you know that's basically the mockups that are going around or there's another idea of moving some information some controls from the top bar to the bottom so if the next iphone gets a function area where the virtual home button when which by the way in the in the system is you know, in the, in the firmware for the HomePod is called the Home Indicator because it's no longer a home button. Mm. Um, uh, there's the idea of putting controls next to the Home button. So like the controls to navigate back or maybe like uh, the plus button that you normally see in the top right or the compose button, for example, that is usually in the top right. Those could live at the bottom next to the home button and they would be contextual based on the app that you're using and developers wouldn't have to tweak i guess uh because the api could fall back mostly gracefully uh to floating those controls at the bottom uh and by the way you know there's a trend of putting these controls at the bottom it's called rich navigation i had a link on mac stories a few weeks ago uh, of you know helping interactions with these big phones that we have now by moving controls to the bottom. So that would be, I guess, comfortable to use. Um, 
So take a look at those links. There's a bunch of mockups that people are imagining, and it's fun to speculate. Even if we have the what should be the final design, we have no idea what the software is going to be like. And that is fascinating for me at this point. Um, but in terms of hardware and what this phone is going to do for us, the big point is it seems the confirmed lack of any Touch ID on this phone. And it appears that Apple is going all in on face recognition through the system that is codenamed Pearl and that is referenced multiple times on the system in the biometric kit framework. Um, so this face authentication that is going to replace Touch ID, um, Steve Trotton-Smith couldn't find any references to Touch ID, so let's just assume that Touch ID is not there. It's not in the back, it's not under the display. Um, and it seems like Apple is gearing up to offer some major uh, additions to the camera. So there's going to be a front-facing 3D sensing camera that can use face authentication to unlock the phone and supposedly authenticate you know, you know, passwords into apps and Apple Pay for payments. Um, but also there's going to be support for ARKit in, because there's a, a 3D sensing camera uh, it can do AR kit, and uh, you know if you look at the code that uh, Steve and uh, the other the other guy uh, Guillermo Rambo, I think what a name Rambo by the way. It's pretty to, good for someone to leak the uh, the next iPhone software. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know the 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 Rambo leak. That's amazing. Um, uh, so if you look at the APIs that they they offered screenshots, uh, it seems like AR kit is gonna gain. Um, some form of face knowledge, like it can assemble the geometry of your face. And that's going to be useful to, for example, to, uh, to superimpose graphics, for example, to change the background of, you know, of your actual, for example, your selfie. You're going to take a selfie, you can change the background. And it's sort of what you're getting with the depth API in iOS 11. Where on the iPhone 7 Plus, if you take a photo on iOS 11, uh, developers can make photo editing apps to change the depth map of right. the photo. Imagine the same, but for selfies, for the front-facing camera. So you take a sort of like photo booth on the Mac, but done much better using ARKit, I guess. And also the idea of... Uh, this is a recent uh, discovery. There's going to be a... It appears in the code, there's a reference to a feature called the Smart Cam. And the Smart Cam, it seems it can recognize various types of scenery and context. So if you take a look at the screenshots, there's like scene pet or scene sky or scene foliage or fireworks. So think of the knowledge that photos has in the Photos app, but apply that to the camera in real time. Um, it could be fun to, you know, to imagine like uh, having a smart cam that can focus automatically on babies or on pets or understand what the background is and, uh, for example, adjust exposure uh, in real time because it understands that's the sky and that's a tree, you know, like in real time, that could be pretty cool. Um, yeah, you know, point and shoot cameras and even, and even nicer cameras have modes you can put them in, but you know, like I am shooting fireworks or hey, I'm outdoors or whatever, but they're sort of dumb, right? Because they don't have that. They have some parameters they change, but they're not adaptive to what's going on. Where, where this sort of technology can take that further and say, hey, I'm, I'm shooting this sort of thing, but take all the information you know and all the information you're gathering in real time and make decisions about the picture I'm getting ready to take. That, that is super exciting to me. Yeah, yeah. I think it, it is very ex exciting to have this 
real-time AI, like applied to this to the app that millions of people use every day, which is the camera. If it really works, that could be pretty awesome. Uh, and finally, moving to the bottom of the phone to you know to speculate on the code that was found. It doesn't seem like the function area where the home indicator is gonna be. It doesn't seem like it's gonna be programmable by developers because uh, Steve Trouton Smith couldn't find uh, APIs for developers to put custom controls in there. Um, so I'm I'm curious to see if Apple is not allowing developers to fully customize that. If it maybe lends some value to the idea of that is the you know on the on the old iPhones you write the title bar as usual. But on the new one, it goes to the bottom. Uh, but what happens, you know, like, it's going to be strange if moving from the old generation of iPhones where some stuff is at the top and then suddenly is at the bottom and there's no home button anymore. But also what happens to the system keyboard? Like, where is the keyboard displayed? Is it displayed above the function area? So if you look at your iPhone now, you have a physical function area, which is, you know, the bezel where the home button is. And obviously the keyboard is displayed in the screen where the software can be displayed. But now if you assume that the bezel is going to be a screen, does the keyboard still sit on top of the function area or does the keyboard cover the home button? But if the keyboard covers the home button, then you cannot go home anymore. So we have to assume there's going to be this function area is going to be persistent all the time. Otherwise, it's just going to be weird. And at this point, I wonder, what if we are overthinking all this and the function area is just going to be black because it looks like an iPhone? Uh, because like we're coming up with all these mockups of like Apple is going to put a touch bar in there or it's going to be programmable developers. It's going to blend in with the content. But all the mockups I see of these tab bars on top of the function area or a keyboard on top of the function area and it creates this contrast between the two elements on screen. Either the mockups are not really done well or the function area is still just a black spot for the home, for the virtual home button or Apple is clever, more clever than all of us combined and they devised this amazing design that takes advantage of the fact that it's a screen but also looks elegant, looks polished. It doesn't look like, it doesn't stick out, you know, uh, with that virtual home button and the area around it. And this goes back to the point of, I'm really excited about all this because we know nothing about the software. We know nothing about the design. We only saw this glyph of what is going to be the phone with the top notch. And um, we get these references in the code that was uploaded by mistaken Apple servers. And... We think we know all the features that are going to come out, but in reality, um, you know, some people think that these APIs are just are written and created just before the iPhone comes out. But obviously, there's engineers who have been working on these APIs and this code for a couple of years, you know, at least. This has been in the works for such a long time. And there's a contrast between the work that engineers do that can go on for a really long time and the executive decisions that can be made at the very last moment you know if Tim Cook decides you know we're not gonna do the smart cam then that code is gonna be scrapped it's gonna be removed and we're not gonna have a smart cam because it doesn't work well or 
if at the very last moment, Craig Federighi says, you know, drag and drop, it's not going to be on the iPhone between multiple apps. Um, so finding an API reference is not necessarily a guarantee for the feature to come out in September because features are in the works for years, but it takes an executive decision on a whim in an afternoon to be pulled. So considering all this, the fact that it's still early August and that we only got the rumors and the glyph and these APIs, we know nothing about the software, that together makes me super, super excited about this iPhone in a way that I wasn't excited about the iPhone in years, you know? I feel like the between iOS 11 on the iPad and whatever Apple is doing with this iPhone Pro, iPhone 8, it's going to be a pretty awesome fall for <laughs> iOS. I think so. And, you know, I, I agree with you. I think before this stuff, I was excited about this iPhone. And yes, leaks do damage the surprise of it. But I, I'm really excited about the opportunities Apple and third-party developers have to do with this device. And uh, it's going to be uh, it's going to be a fun, you know, we're five or six weeks out from the from the event and uh, I'm just looking forward to it. Um, you know, one thing that, that is interesting to sort of wrap this stuff up is there's been this talk about uh, leaks from Apple come from Apple now, right? Like you still get supply chain leaks, but they're clamping down on that. And uh, this yeah. is a pretty massive stroke in that well, column. Yeah. Well, I think a leak is, you know, it's something that is made, Consciously, like you want to leak information, this is just an accident. I think it is too. Uh, yeah, I don't think any anybody sat around saying, "Oh, yeah. I want to do this." But yeah. but nevertheless, like the outcome's kind of the same. Like <laughs> yes, yes, uh, it is. But it, it's well, um, even more so than in the past because even before we never got to look at the APIs months in advance. We never got to look at the code names you know, months before the, the event. So in terms of just the outcome alone, it's even worse than 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 in the past because before we had Gurman on 9to5Mac and we had some cases from the Chinese manufacturers and maybe some supply chain rumors. But now the new generation of uh, Apple rumors and leaks, you know, with Ming Chukuo and, you know, uh, Mecha Takara, the Japanese blog, and, uh, you know, some rumors on... Um, what's it called, Weibo, you know, the mm-hmm. Chinese Twitter. Yeah. Uh, we, we have those, but, you know, it seems like we're, we're in a different age of Apple rumors. And so this quote-unquote leak from the HomePod firmware sort of restores the previous glory of hmm. Apple leaks, you know, because it's a lot of details. And for us, it's kind of awesome. I would not say the same for the people at Apple who worked on this. No. And I cannot imagine, you know, if this, um, I mean, we have to assume this was an accident. So I cannot assume, you know, if there's anybody responsible for this, like this must have been hell mm-hmm. on them. So I, I feel for those people because, you know, accidents happen and mistakes can be made. And in this case, it was a pretty big mistake. Uh, so, yeah. So, yeah. So that's, yeah. Um, that's that. But yeah. New design, new features. Uh, one question I had came to mind when you were talking about the, the, IPSW versus the OTA. Um, why is this stuff in an update aimed for the HomePod? So here's how it works. Um, the HomePod update reports version as iOS 11.0.2. So it's two patches ahead of what we are going to get 
if we get iOS 11.0 in September, mm -hmm. those are two patches ahead. And the way that these patches work, uh, they are developed in tandem with the public release. Of course, it's different teams working on different stuff. For example, you know, some engineers maybe from let's say from the drag and drop team, they have already moved on from the, what is going to be the public release and they're now working on the next one. And there's other engineers who are dealing with the beta and with the feedback and incorporating the stuff from beta testers and developers. And there's obviously people who are working on iOS 11.0.1.0.2 and maybe iOS 11.1 and 0.2. Um, and when those updates are seeded to internal testers, so Apple employees, the API references, the symbols and the, you know all the, the design assets that are normally scrubbed uh, from the developer release in June, the betas that we get, those things are not removed because it's Apple people. They, they, they are obligated to an NDA. They cannot talk about stuff and they, they should see stuff because they are, they are testing the HomePod. They are maybe testing the next iPhone. So they need to see those. They need those features to be working. And so when, an ex when a mistake is made like this and when that firmware you know, that maybe adds iPhone Pro integration to the HomePod. So Apple was like, we're going to add iPhone Pro integration, so make sure to update your HomePods. And the firmware file ends up in the wrong directory. You know, instead of going to Apple employees, it goes on to the public. And of course, you're going to see all of those things. You're going to see all of those APIs. You're going to see all of those features. And um, the reason why it's in an update, it's because Apple is... You know, it's obviously ahead of us of our schedule, and they're making the next versions of iOS 11 already. And there's people inside Apple who are testing those. And to test those, they need to have the features working, which means no code can be scrubbed. Which means if you make a mistake, everybody's gonna see that. And because there are extraction tools to decompress and inspect these files, whether it's a firmware update or an IPSW. Um, this is the result. We're now talking about the APIs in August. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Well, I uh, appreciate that explanation. Mm, yeah. So if, uh, if you want to find show notes this week, you can do so on our website, relay.fm slash connected slash 153. You get in touch with us there via email or by Twitter. The show is at underscore connected FM. Federico's there at Vitici, and you can find his writing, of course, at maxstories.net. Uh, Mike will be back next week. You can find him at I-M-Y-K-E on Twitter. You can find my writing at 512pixels.net, and I am ISMH uh, on Twitter. So I think that's it. So until uh, until next time, Federico, say goodbye. Arrivederci. Adios.